welcome to Dream Life Best Fit Role with me, Nikki Smith. I'm a psychologist and a career and business coach. I believe everybody can love their work and I help people to use their natural strengths to transform their work life and love their job. These podcast episodes shine a light on individuals who have created their dream life best fit role or business. I focus on how they've played to their natural strengths, those activities that energize and inspire them, and how they've conducted mini experiments to take the fear out of change and generate momentum. Hi there, I'm delighted to be chatting with Liv Downing today. She's the founder and CEO of Live Mindfully. Liv is a psychologist and a mindfulness expert and she works with individuals and corporates uh, to support them to live and work to their full potential. So you can imagine how much Liv and I have to talk about. So welcome Liv. Thank you so much Nikki, it's wonderful to be here. Fantastic to have you. Now, Liv and I go way back and I'm so thrilled that she said yes to being on my podcast and um, we're going to share a bit about Liv and her work history, but also some of her top tips around mindfulness. And I love her take on mindfulness. It's so refreshing. Um, So let's get started. Liv, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you currently do work-wise? Yep. Absolutely. So as you mentioned, Nick, I am the founder and CEO of Live Mindfully. We are a boutique mindfulness-based consulting and coaching firm and we offer tailored and flexible solutions to schools, individuals and organisations. As well as that, I am a mum of two very beautiful boys and they're eight and four And as those mums out there would know, that role is also quite time consuming, but also very satisfying. So the podcast shines a light on individuals who've created their dream life, best fit role or business. And I think in understanding where we are now, it's important to look back in time. So can you share with us your work pathway? Mm, Absolutely. So apart from the jobs that I had at various cafes around St Kilda and my extensive experience in tasting different chocolate ganaches at cheesecake shops. Um, I started my professional career working as an applied behavioural analyst, working with kids with autism and learning delays. And I really loved that work. Um, And then after a couple of years of doing that, I went into working with young people with psychiatric illness. And that was in a psychosocial rehabilitation setting with an organisation at the time called Richmond Fellowship of Victoria. I think it's now rebranded to mind. And I worked there full time um, in, in supported accommodation with around 10 to 12 young people. And they were aged between 16 to 23 and living with a variety of mental and sometimes physical illnesses as well. I absolutely adored that work. I was still pretty young though to be doing quite um, intensive work and so I decided at the age of 23 that I was a little young to be saving the world. Um, So once I finished my fourth year in psychology at uni, I left that work and actually spent a couple of years working in the fashion industry. Now, working in fashion was lots of fun. I absolutely adored it, although I did realise that there was a limit to the amount of conversations I could have about the best concealer or fake tanning sessions or salons, fake tanning salons around. So I found my way into organisational psychology and I worked with a big organisation which was originally called Morgan & Banks and then TMP Worldwide and then Hudson. 
And I absolutely adored that. I did it for about 10 years and it felt like the perfect fit for me. I got to really help people and really make an, a genuine difference to their well-being and their performance in the workplace. But it was in a setting that was somewhat contained and professional. And so that worked really well for my approach. So over the, the years I was there, I ended up in lots of different roles. And, and as much as I loved working within the space of high-powered international recruitment, it just la- began to lack a bit of depth for me. So I made the decision to move into private, private practice counselling while running my own HR consulting business on the side. I absolutely adored the work doing one-on-one counselling and, and feel so grateful to have had that experience of walking alongside so many amazing people in this journey of life and to be able to have the absolute honour of sitting in front of someone and for them to be so vulnerable and so trusting and so honest, I felt really grateful for that work. And it was actually through this work that I was formally introduced to mindfulness. Um, While I had been playing with meditation and, and actively doing yoga for a number of years, this was the first time I'd come across this concept of mindfulness when I was trained in mindfulness based therapy by a lovely fellow named Dr. Craig Hassett. He works out of Monash University. And I you know, Nick, I really, I remember so clearly that moment that it hit me that I am not my thoughts. And I can honestly say that my life changed from that moment forward. And I guess the role that I currently have, that it's very much part of my mission to offer people that opportunity to have that incredibly freeing realisation, that sense that it's it's really up to us when it comes to how we think and how we behave. And so from that moment, mindfulness was and really still is the most empowering technique I'd come across both within a therapeutic setting, but also just within my own life. I love hearing about that moment Yeah, uh, that you discovered that and I got tingles just listening to that. Mm, thank you. Yeah, it was pretty magic. I remember it so clearly. And so then following baby number one, we moved across to the US and uh, unfortunately I was unable to work as a psychologist over there because my qualifications didn't transfer. But it turns out that this was a great blessing because I then trained as a life coach and set up my mindfulness-based coaching business over there, which I called Live Mindfully. And I did one-on-one and group mindfulness-based coaching and counseling as well as organizational consulting. And, you know, I couldn't believe my luck. I'd created a role for myself teaching something I passionately believed in across areas that I already had experience and interest in. So this was back in 2014 and mindfulness was still pretty new um, back then and less so in the US. I think Australia's only really caught up in the last few years, but I don't think I would have taken the risk of investing my time and my professional energy into an area that was so new and so unknown if I hadn't um, been able to really kind of recreate myself. So being in a new country where I could think outside the box and really be, you know, whoever I wanted to be allowed me to fall into my true area of passion. So I'm really grateful for that time in the US. And then after the three years there, we landed back in Melbourne and um, a couple of days after we got home, I got on the phone to Craig Hassard, the fellow with whom I trained, and um, we'd stayed in touch over the years. And I said, g'day Craig, I'd love to get into the mindfulness community in Melbourne, but I have no idea where to start. 
can I come and work for you at Monash? And um, he said, well, no, we're sorted for Monash at the moment. But he did mention a little not-for-profit called Smiling Mind and he thought that they might need some help. And so after lots of meetings with the powers that be at Smiling Mind, I knew that I loved that organisation and really wanted to be involved somehow. The only challenge was I was about to have my second baby. So all plans of employment or partnership had to be popped on hold for a while. And then eight weeks following the birth of my second little boy, um, Lucy, who was the general manager at Smiling Mind at the time, called me to ask if I could work, um, if I could partner with Smiling Mind and IBM to design the Smiling Mind corporate product. And this felt like a dream come true, bringing my corporate and mindfulness experience to life in a product that could help thousands of people and provide the revenue to support and sustain one of the most incredible organisations I'd come across So it really was a no-brainer. It was not an easy no-brainer in that, you know, I had a new baby, but I had lots of support from my mum and from my husband and and lots of babysitters (laughs) coming through the doors. So we just made it work. Once that product was developed, I was lucky enough to become one of Smiling Mind's busiest facilitators. And I travelled from Sydney for Google to Singapore for Twitter and loved every minute of it. And um, so through Smiling Mind, I also had the opportunity to work with Beyond Blue and to develop an app called Mind the Bump, which is an app for new and expecting parents. And the timing was beautiful. So being a new parent myself, although the second time around, it felt like complete synchronicity. And it was, it's to this day, probably the achievement I'm most proud of in my professional career. I'd love to know why is Mind the Bump uh, the thing you're most proud of? Well, it's a great question. I think it's because Mind the Bump has allowed me to help hundreds and thousands of people without me having to be there sitting in front of them. So I know that I've created this product that is out in the world and is really helping new and expecting parents. So, you know, I remember when I was at that that time in my life when I was about to become a parent, I would have loved to have learnt all of these techniques. And luckily for me, I I was on my own mindfulness journey, but to have an app that's there, that's free, that's accessible, that normalizes the, um, the chaos and the uncertainty and the overwhelming experiences that come with being a new parent, I just think is absolutely invaluable. And, you know, sadly, a lot of people don't know about it. Um, So we need to tell people about it, Nick. So Mind the Bump, it's free and it's um, supported by Beyond Blue and Smiling Mind. And it's just a really beautiful resource for mums and dads going on the parenting journey. Brilliant. So yeah, we are getting the word out there. So if they, if people do a search on apps, will they come across it? It's in the app store. It's free to buy. So it's there. Perfect. So following that wonderful time and through the crew from Smiling Mind, I met some amazing people looking to set up a new mind and body studio somewhere in Melbourne. So the vision of that business was to really to help people to fall in love with themselves again. So we wanted to take the fitness journey from beyond the body and really supporting people to look after their minds. And so I knew that mindfulness and meditation was one sure way to facilitate that. So I went off to train to become an accredited meditation teacher and after two years of planning and strategizing and researching, we opened the doors of the beautiful Happy Melon in High Street, Armadale. 
And now we had an amazing team of five partners, all experts in our respective areas. So it should have been no surprise that the business was incredibly successful from day one. And we were all on fire, both work, all of us working, you know, long hours, but loving it. And then at one point, about six months after we opened, I realized that I had completely burnt myself out and I just couldn't continue to give the business the attention and the time it deserved and needed. And this was, you know, this was a combination of embarrassing and kind of, you know, real, remembering that I was human because it, I was teaching people to slow down and teaching people to be mindful and I was burning myself out in the process. But, you know, I worked out that I was really struggling Jug, struggling to juggle the balance of, of the demands of having a young family and a husband with a very busy job that required him to travel, as well as a newly wit- widowed and quite unwell dad. So in my experience, of course, I kept meditating. You know, I was still had my daily practice, but I very much stopped looking after myself in all the other ways. Um, and I was always putting the business and my boys first, and I came a distant third or fourth or fifth. So What I learned in that process is that meditation and mindfulness are amazing and they are definitely part of our self-care, but they're not the only part. We still need to exercise and we still need to see our friends and eat well and do all those other parts of the, the well-being puzzle. So to this day, leaving Happy Melon was one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make, but I definitely know it was the right one. Um, And I know that the business is still doing really well and I'm sure it will continue to do so. So following my Happy Melon departure, I went back to working with Smiling Mind and I actually had the honour of helping them review and update the corporate program I'd originally designed for them a few years before. Um, And I've cranked up live mindfully again and I've found a lovely sense of blending because we all know balance doesn't actually exist but blending between work and family and for me of course there are still stresses and I think there are for for any working person really but I now have the insight and the wisdom to not let that stress for go to go on for too long. So my ability to self-regulate and self-manage has definitely improved and I've learned a whole lot of other things which I'd love to share with you. I think what's really reassuring to hear is that it this this self-care formula is something we need to relearn and refine. I think I think there's a little bit of cruelty in there that we can't master it and it be enduring forever. But in fact, we do need to take stock and refine and relearn at different points in our life. But I, but overall, I feel the sense of reassurance that this is a universal thing. Absolutely, Nick. And it's, you know, I see it time and time again in school settings and in organisations that we're just, we're out of control as a society. You know, we've we've forgotten how to switch off. We've forgotten how to disconnect. And, um, and I think that's why meditation and mindfulness have, have become such a fundamental part of the education system and any workplace that we need to reteach people how to slow down and how to to listen and how to create space that is no longer there organically, partly because of technology, partly because of the pace of of life. And so, but it is, it's, it's, we're learning. This is a whole new area for all of us. The influence of technology and the fast pace of everything is brand new. So we're all learning to navigate it together, but it's definitely an integrated approach. It's not one thing, which was a big learning for me. Yeah, and I love how you talk about, and it's humbling, isn't it? Because as psychologists, we've got big toolkits Mm -hmm. and we've spent a lot of time adding 
adding tools in there and so I hope that it's reassuring to everyone listening in that even with a big toolkit we have to relearn these lessons we need to fine-tune it's a universal thing Mm, yeah and I think you know as you said being a psychologist we think we think we think we think think too much And, you know, you might be interested to know what, what were the big insights that I had that led to this decision to leave Happy Melon. And one of them was really about connecting with my body and connecting with my values. And I had trained for many years to, I'd learned to analyze and to think, and I'd really spent much of my life stuck in my head. And to be honest, I think mindfulness was just exacerbating that. So I'd become really good at controlling my thoughts and controlling my responses to them that I completely disconnected from that, my value, that deeper part of myself that sits in my body. I learned that the feelings in my body are often pointing to my, my core truth or my, my values. And so now, so what I've learned is that before making decisions and, you know, answering quick, I'm, I'm a yes person, quick to answer yes and answering yes, I stop and I listen to that whisper and I listen to that part of me that is beyond thought. So that's been an incredible power, incredibly powerful learning for me. And I wonder, is it worth just touching on any of the insights from the seven-step program? Yes, absolutely. So one of the other, or there are a couple more. So one of my key insights from the program was really identifying my strengths. I'd done the Strengths Finder several years before I went through the program with you, Nick, but I'd really forgotten about them. And so what I worked out is that I'm an ideas person. I love people and I love making things happen. Therefore, I need to be working in an environment that allows me to be constantly innovating and helping and making my own decisions. And so running my own business with great autonomy really works for me. So really playing to my strengths has been fantastic. That's so good to hear. And the the program Liv's referring to is the seven-step career change program. And I actually asked Liv to do it in the pilot stage, but it was actually perfect timing because she was in this transition of wondering, what do I do? You know, I'm burnt out. I'm not sure if I should stay or should I go? And it felt like it was actually pretty perfect timing. It was awesome. It was an amazing, amazing opportunity. And I think one of the other key areas that the program helped unlock for me was what my definition of success is. And it was realizing that I may have actually already reached my definition of success. So I could stop finally trying so hard. <laughs> and there's so with that realization, there's been a great sense of relief. So I realized before now I was almost living my parents or other people's definition of success, not my own. And, you know, I'm a little embarrassed to say that I got caught up in all the shiny things in my past, you know, the promise of fame and international expansion. But now I'm very clear that my definition of success is to help people. And the wonderful thing is that I know I've already done that. So now I can just stop that hustle for success and approval and do the meaningful work that I find so satisfying and just I hope I can be of service to others. So it's, there's some, a real sense of relief that's come with that realisation. So I can't wait to hear now what Liv is going to share with us all. Liv, I'd love to know, you know, your top three hints that you want to share with people which is going to help them to live and work to their full potential by being more mindful. 
Sure, I would love to, Nick. I could talk about this stuff forever. Um, so there may be some of your listeners who, who perhaps don't know what mindfulness is. I thought I'd start by sharing a bit of a definition. So one definition is that mindfulness is paying attention to the present moment in a particular way or really tuning into what is happening both inside of us and outside of us before responding. So it means that we can respond to what is actually happening in our life rather than what we think is happening. And so all of a sudden, without actively changing anything, life itself and our experience of it can become so much richer and more satisfying. And one of the key benefits of this is that it can help us to access this sense of clarity and calm and sense of connection that's always available in us already. I think so often in our lives, we look outside for a quick fix. We look outside for happiness, whether that's in a new handbag or a new car or a new job or a new boyfriend. Whereas what mindfulness can help us to really see and sense is that all of those possibilities of peace and clarity and contentment are available to us in this present moment right now. And so one of the best ways that I've found to really access that sense of stillness that's already within us is to get out of our head and tune into our senses. So this will bring us into the present moment with no effort at all. And we can just sit and watch our thoughts or our emotions from afar. So you might like to try perhaps in your your next meal, take time to really taste it. So even just the first three bites, if it feels a bit weird eating your whole meal in mindful silence, but the first three bites, just close your eyes and, and chew slowly and really taste and experience the food. You know, so often we mindlessly guzzle food down and it takes our body a while to to keep up with that. So we eat way more than we really need. So tuning into your senses, so the sense of taste, smell, even when you're doing the dishes, you know, feel the warm water against your skin and each time you notice the mind wander, which it will, It'll start telling us stories. There'll be a whole, you know, a whole sense of running commentary. Just allow yourself to come back to the present moment and feel whatever it is that you're doing. And that can be really satisfying, actually. So taste, touch, hear, see and smell your way back into the present moment. So that's my first tip. The second tip is a really obvious one, and that is to meditate. (laughs) So we now have scientific proof that mindfulness meditation seriously can change the structure of our brain and can change, therefore, the way we think and the way we behave and, therefore, our life. And it's important to remember we don't meditate to become better at meditation. We meditate to become better at life. So if you could just find five minutes a day, do some regular practice, some regular formal practice. There's lots of apps you can download. So Smiling Mind is, is a free app and it's an, my obvious favourite. But Headspace is one out of uh, the UK and that is also fantastic. And 10% Happier is one out of the US and that's also great. So the important thing to remember about meditation is it's really simply providing us with that opportunity to step back, to observe our thinking and to explore what is actually happening. We don't need to experience anything in particular in meditation. And so there's no such thing as a bad meditation. We're simply practicing this capacity to step back 
and observe and watch so that in life we can become much less reactive. Now, I actually only had two tips. So third tip is probably making mindfulness your own. Do some of your own research, do some of your own reading, attend a couple of classes, listen to some podcasts, but make it your own. Nobody knows you the way you do. And for you, mindfulness might be half an hour of gardening on the weekend or making a beautiful soup or a formal loving kindness, compassion, meditation practice. You know, we're all so different. So learn from experts, but tailor your experience to yourself and your life. They're great hints, Liv. And I particularly love the the options that, that we have because I know for myself with clients who are active, like I often, yeah, direct them to the ones you're talking about, like make a soup or garden or do something active or go for a walk and um, spend five minutes of the walk being bringing yourself back to the present moment because for some people sitting still just feels so hard mm-hmm. absolutely for most of us sitting still feels really hard in the beginning and but it is it is like any other habit you know the more we do it the easier it becomes it's just a matter of setting up setting up a way that it can feel accessible for you without making it just another thing to do on our to-do list and another thing to beat ourselves up about not doing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. More compassion, more, more ease. More compassion, compassion all around. What do you think it's given you, Liv? What's mindfulness given you? That's a great question and that's probably another whole podcast. <laughs> um, but I think in short it's given me freedom and choice. So I, I think as a young woman, I was very caught up in my thinking and very habitual in the way I worried or planned or blamed. And so mindfulness has given me the freedom to, to know that I have a choice around how to respond to those thoughts. That's probably the first benefit. The second one would be around this sense of connection to something greater than myself. And that's a really lovely and nourishing and safe feeling that I didn't have in my life before discovering mindfulness. It was that constant hustle, the hustle for approval. And I think mindfulness has really taught me that I am broader and more expansive than anything my mind or my emotions all my life can throw at me. There's a beautiful quote by Pema Chodron and it's, you are the sky, everything else is just the weather. So I think that's been one of the most profound benefits for me, that sense of expansion and and, um, connection to something greater than myself. Oh, that's beautiful. And I'm just thinking, what would you say to people who report in well I've tried meditation and I it didn't work or I was no good at it would you add anything to the tips that you shared before Mm, that's a great question and I hear that all the time in the meditation sessions um, I run and I guess I can relate to that intimately because that was very much my experience of meditation I was introduced to meditation at the age of 13 by an Ananda Marga nun at a hippie festival out the back of Byron Bay And between the ages of 13 and 30, I had tried endlessly to meditate because I was working under a myth that I now know was incorrect. And that myth was that meditation is about clearing your mind and stopping your thoughts. And as I've already explained earlier, I have a very busy mind. I'm blessed and cursed with it. And so my my top tip would 
be to reframe that for you and say that meditation is not about stopping your thoughts. Meditation is about observing your thoughts and and really feeling into this place within all of us that is separate from our thoughts. And the minute we get pulled into thinking, which we all do in meditation, that moment we realize we're thinking again and we've been pulled away into the stories of the future or past, that's actually a point of celebration because it's in that moment that we realize, oh, I'm thinking again. I've been pulled into a story. I'm planning what I'm going to have for dinner or I'm planning the email I need to write this afternoon. We unhook from that and we come back to watching the breath or the body or the sounds and the thoughts will come. Our job in meditation is not to stop thinking or control our thoughts. It's to change the way we relate to our thoughts. So believe me, anyone who started meditation, we've had that challenge of thinking it doesn't work or we can't do it. But actually, if we reframe it, you know, we can all do it. This is an innate human capacity we all have. We just need to remember how to do it. <laughs> and it sounds like the, the definition of success is simply practicing. So Correct. it's really, and it, it brings to mind that fabulous train metaphor you taught me in one of your mindfulness workshops. So let's share that. Mm, absolutely. So I'd like you to imagine that you're standing on a train platform and it's one of those centre platforms with trains heading in both directions. The centre platform represents the present moment. It represents now. It's your space where you can stand and watch everything else go by. There's a train on your left-hand side that's heading to the future. It's the train that many of us find ourselves on when we're worrying, we're planning, we're organizing, where, you know, we get stuck in that, those thoughts that go round and round, those to-do list thoughts. And before we know it, we can find ourselves in stressed out land. And that's simply because we've, we've mindlessly jumped onto that train of thought and allowed ourselves to get carried away with it. On the flip side, so the right-hand side of the platform, there's trains heading to the past and they're the trains of thought that really that many of us get stuck in when we're ruminating or we're blaming or we're regretting and before we know it, we can find ourselves in bummed out land and just basically gloomy and blue. So what to do? We need to become more discerning travellers and we can do that by standing on our centre platform, by standing in the present moment and using the tools that we have available to us. So tuning into our senses, our senses are always happening in the present moment, tuning into our breath and tuning into our body and allowing those three anchors to bring us back. And we can say to ourselves, what is actually happening? What is really going on now? Of course, we need to plan for the future. And of course, we need to learn from the, the past. But we can do it mindfully. We can do it consciously rather than mindlessly jumping on these trains. I love that. And I think you also added a bit in the workshop that I attended, which was, and is this true, that when you practice meditation, there'll be less train ru trains running down the track. Exactly, Nick. So the question that I usually ask is, if we're to think about our train metaphor, and if we were in the situation um, of the, the authorities running the trains, and there were passengers no longer taking the trains, what would the authorities do? The answer is they would close down the train line. And the same thing happens in our brain from the aspect of neuroplasticity where the less we worry, 
the less we are likely to worry. And that's because our brains grow based on the rule of use it or lose it. We become better at something because we do it more. And so we can actually restructure our brain by engaging consciously with our thinking rather than being pulled into it automatically and simply fueling or growing these new these new neural pathways so we can we can suffocate them we can allow them to atrophy <laughs> and we can come back to the present moment I love it. And that's what inspired me to, I think, to start again and and to meditate again. I'd never really mastered a habit, but that train metaphor, knowing that actually if I meditated over time, I would spend less time in the future and the past and my brain would adapt and rewire. Liv, thank you so much for sharing your take on mindfulness. I really like it. I find it really refreshing. For people to find out more information about you, I believe we're directing them to your website. Mm -hmm. That is www.livemindfully.com. And on there, you'll find more about uh, my services and my products and, and what I do and a bit more about my bio. So I'd love to hear from anyone who's interested to learn more about mindfulness. So Liv um, works with corporates and individuals and she's developing an online program. So that'll be available soon. And I also loved all the apps that you shared. So we'll make sure that if you go to the blog post on my website, we'll have those resources listed. Those free apps are a great way to start your meditation habit. And I love that you've illustrated so many benefits of doing so today. Liv, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your refreshing take on mindfulness. I really appreciate it. No problem. It's been an absolute pleasure. I wish you and all your listeners the very best on the mindfulness and meditation journey. Brilliant. Thanks again, Liv, and we're both going to say bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Two things I'd like to mention. Firstly, if you're keen to boost your happiness at work, then head on over to www.nikkismith.net.au which is n-i-k-k-i-s-m-i-t-h.net.au and sign up for your starter kit. I share tips in there that are easy to implement and are pure gold. Secondly, if you crave a new work role and have no idea what to do or lots of ideas but don't know where to start, then head on over and check out the 7-Step Career Change online program. This is an awesome system I use to help people create their dream life best fit role, which is a role that matches their strengths, interests and lifestyle needs. It will move you from feeling fed up, unsure and unconfident to clear, inspired and motivated in six weeks. Plus, if you want to hear more stories like this one, please subscribe and spread the word. Till next time.